Today we are kicking off our Christmas series called Christmas Lists. And maybe you're like me. My wife knows this is a rule. I don't know if she came up with it or I came up with it. But I love this rule. If I have to get more than three things from the store, I need a list. Because if it's more than three, I'm going to forget something. And I know coming into the holiday season with all of the people that, that you love and the gifts that you need to buy, so many of us are making lists because if we don't make a list, we're going to end up on December 24th in Walgreens trying to figure out a present to buy for our loved ones. And there ain't nothing good there. And so that's a spot we don't want to be in. And I believe that a lot of the bad presents that we, we get or the bad presents that we give aren't because people had some ill will. It's usually just because they, they, procur- they had too much procrastination and not enough lists in their life. And so you end up getting bad presents like this. Here's three of the worst presents that people said they, they've got. And they, they kind of run in the same vein. And hopefully this wasn't you who gave or received this. But don't give your spouse a gym membership or a scale. All right. Yeah, there's some meaning behind that gift. If they did not ask for it, even if they did ask for it, you just might want to give them that off to the side and get them a different Christmas present because we understand there's a meaning. There's another worse gift, body hair removal kit. (laughs) What you trying to say, right? Uh, There's meaning behind gifts when we give them. And and the things that we do, the things that we bring to someone else, it, it shows, okay, I know this about you. I know there's a need that you have, and I think that this, this would help you, or I think that you want this. That's what a gift communicates. And so we understand when we give someone a kit to remove excess body hair, like we're saying something about them, all right? When we bring something to worship, when we bring an attitude to worship, when we bring an attitude to serving others, like we're, we're saying something in the way that we bring that gift and the heart that's there in it. Because if we drag our feet through serving someone else, we're saying we don't really want to be a part of this. Like someone roped me in, someone pulled me by my ear, and it says something about that gift that we're supposed to be giving. In fact, the whole way, you know, I know that one of the things on your list of things to do, you've probably got someone nudging you in your life about it, of one of the the things on your to-do list for Christmas season is to decorate. And that's something we all do. We put up the lights, we put up the Christmas tree, we put the wreath on the front door, we, we put out the candy canes, we put up all of the decorations, and it's the, a thing that we do. And really in this series, I want to look at the things that we always do at Christmas time, but I want to make sure that we have the right heart behind what we're doing. Because there's so much richness and depth to the way that we celebrate at Christmas time, but I feel like we, we, we miss it. I feel like we move through it and we really shortchange the meaning that is supposed to be there in that gift. And so I'm going to give you guys a couple passages that, that just teach us the truth about how God feels about things when we move through them without, without really weighing, what, what does this say? What does this mean? Where is my heart in this? When we move th- through things just in a mechanical way, I'm going to show you how God feels about that. And then we're going to get into some things that I know that we do in the holidays, and I want to give you an opportunity to just inject the proper meaning and the attitude into those things. And so today, we're looking at decorations, and we're looking about making a declaration in that, but I I think that some of you guys, you you might relate to what, what this says in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. We'll put this up on the screen, and this is from the NASB, and and this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and, and he says, then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words, and they honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. 
Now, this is a word that we don't commonly use, rote, but uh, th- this passage really summed up what was being said the best. And so I understand this is an older word. This is like if you've ever played a musical instrument and there's a song that you learn and you don't even have to think, like your, your, your fingers just go across the piano and it can play the song. On the guitar, you can work the fretboard and the strings and you don't even have to think about what you're playing. You can just do it because you've done it so many times. Doing something it, it, like, wrote in, in that way, it's, it's mechanical. There's no thought, there's no consideration, there's no heart behind it. You just know how to do it, and so you do it time and time again. And what God is speaking to his people, he, he's cautioning them, he, he's correcting them because they draw near to him with what they say. But it's not matching how they feel, it's not matching what they do. And he says, they remove their hearts. They keep their hearts far from me. And their reverence consists of tradition learned by rote. Now, I don't know. If you're married, you you might get this. There's times in a married relationship where you'll be saying bye or you'll be saying hello. And you'll just go to give them a quick kiss. And as you go to give a quick kiss, you recognize they wanted more of a kiss. Like, like, and you, you pause and you're like, okay, like I'm down for that. Like, g- give me all of the kisses. This, this isn't just a quick hello. Like, but you were just kind of mechanical. You're like, this is what we do when we pass each other. Give her a quick kiss. But, but there's a different kind of kiss. Like there's a deeper romance. There's a deeper connection. And the same thing with having kids. There's times where you'll just be like, oh, I'm just gonna give my kid a quick hug. But then you catch an emotion in their eye that they're hurting. And you're like, oh, you need a different kind of hug. Like you don't just need to walk by. Like you need to be held. You need, you need to be reaffirmed. Like you, you really need a, a parent right now to put their arms around you. There's times where we walk out of our house and we see the sky and it's different, very different than the times where we walk out of our house and we are captivated by the sunset. And we all know and we all have the areas where we mechanically move through something and we miss a deeper meaning. We miss a better, more heartfelt opportunity. And this is what God is describing in his people, that they have these encounters where they're supposed to be worshiping God. And they're even saying the right things, but their heart is so far away. And they're just doing this mechanism, this rhythm that they've learned. And it applies to church service. There's so many times where I know it's like it's been a tough week. Our mind is in so many places. Anxiety is, is just creeping right up in the back of our mind. And we're here at church and we move through the motions of worship, of music, of the message. And we never let any of it penetrate into our mind and into our heart. And God looks at these times where his people are just moving through the motions. And he is just screaming, wake up out of that sleep. I want to show you the way that he describes it in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. And we'll put this up on the screen as I read it. And this is God speaking to his people about worship. And this is just that that wake-up call that he's trying to give them. He says, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. He's saying the festivals that you have to celebrate me, the times that you get together and assemble together in worship, he actually used the word, I hate them. That is severe. 
He goes on, he says, I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice your choice peace offerings. They were called in scripture. They were commanded to give offerings. And he's saying, I don't care about those offerings. I don't want them from you right now. Because they don't mean what they should mean coming from your heart and your mind. Continuing on, he says, away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteous living. And as we begin this series, as we begin this specific message, I want to make sure I put a spotlight on the fact that God does not want just blind obedience. He does not want thoughtless following of his teachings. He does not want a type of worship that is just dutiful and I'm just moving through the motions because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't accept it unless there is a heart and a mind that is present in what is happening. And when he describes these festivals and these solemn assemblies, Where he says, I'm just not interested in what you guys are doing because your heart is so far off. Man, it is easy to stop and say, I can see how easy it would be to go through a festival like the Christmas season. And hang the lights and trim the trees and wrap the presents and have a Christmas morning. And God never really be part of it. Our worship Never really be part of it. We know how easy it is to slip into that. And, and through today's message, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to give you some really simple interruptions to how we navigate the Christmas season so that when you see these different signs, you see these decorations, I want to give you just three opportunities to engage in worship, to engage in fellowship and conversation And there's so many more of them out there, but just time's sake, we're going to hit three of them today. And just even as I talk about fellowship, I want to pause there for a second because I believe so much of the church has called fellowship something that it isn't. It's like if it's Christians getting together and talking about anything, complaining about anything, that that's fellowship because it's Christians. Christian fellowship is when we get together with someone else and we're talking about the truth of God, the experience of living out our faith, talking and worshiping together in a smaller setting. Like actually getting into those conversations about how we feel about God, how we understand God, how we live for God. The moments where the conversation breaks into the spiritual dynamic of life. That is when being with other Christians becomes fellowship. And it's so critical, it's so important because when you're having times of fellowship, it's gonna be times where you're in a conversation and God gives you words that are for someone else. And so much of the church, I believe, is afraid to act on their faith because it's been so long since they've ever had a sense of God is speaking through me, God is working through me, and getting in opportunities where you cross that scary line and begin the conversation and you ask someone, how is your relationship with God? This is how mine is going right now. And when you cross into that line, I'm going to tell you, God shows up in those moments. God shows up in those times where you actually have worship and it's not because the pastor made you do it and you're in the room and you didn't have a choice but listen to him, but you actually chose to engage in spiritual dialogue with a friend or a family member. And God uses these moments. And so I wanna just kind of start with that, that I'm gonna give you some, some opportunities to inject worship into the normal traditions that we have around Christmas. And I don't want you to undervalue the importance of this conversation. 
I don't want you to undervalue the importance of fellowship in your household where you talk about your faith, where you talk about what these symbols of Christmas means. It is powerful. It is important. It will be a memory that lasts in the minds of your children while they're in your household as they become adults and have their own families. And they will look at your example of how you navigated this religious festival, this holiday, this season that we call Christmas time. And they will replicate what they saw from you. So I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to raise you up. See the opportunity. Grab a hold of it. Because there's so many critical, important symbols around the holidays. And one of them, you know, to quote the great philosopher, Buddy the Elf, Elf, one of them is, you know, stick to the four main food groups, candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup, right? We're familiar with this. Um, the candy cane. We see these all over the place during the holiday season. And I'm about to preach on a candy cane. And by the end of this, I believe that you will be able to because there's so many um, symbols in this. And th- this is hanging everywhere. They, they put candy canes all over shops and, and shops where it's like they won't write Christmas out, but they'll put Xmas. And, and some Christians get kind of testy about this, but I wanted to give you another just talking um, concept when you engage the, those times where you see the Xmas. Don't get offended by it. It's a great opportunity for conversation. Um, did you know that Xmas is actually traditionally a Christian abbreviation because the word Christos in Greek, Christ, actually starts with an X. And so it's just an abbreviation. And so when you see that somewhere, you can just lean into it and be like, oh, I love that you have a historical knowledge about the Greek language and about Jesus Christ, our Savior. Like, I also worship Christos, and I celebrate him, and I, and I chose to follow him with my life, and I'm glad that you guys are celebrating him here, in here too. And they might be like, whoa, 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 you're not allowed to use that Christ language in here. They open the door. They put Xmas up. That's what it means. So dive into the conversation. Don't dive into anger. There's opportunities for great conversations all over the place. And if they've got Xmas up or if they've got candy canes, there's an opportunity for a conversation there. As your kids are around that, there's an opportunity for you to have a conversation with your kid in front of other people who might just be forced to listen in on you as you see Xmas, as you see a candy cane. Uh, the, the history of the candy cane, there's lots of different stories around it. Uh, the, the one that seems the most viable is it first kind of started out as a candy stick in about like 1650 in the Catholic Church. They would have choirs and they would have children that are really small in the choir and children don't know how to be quiet at a young age. It's been true for generations. And so the choir leader actually said, if I give them candy, they will keep their mouth shut on the candy. And the other leaders, well, you can't give candy in church. And he's like, well, if I shape it in a shepherd's crook, it's a religious object. So now I can't. (laughs) And, And that's a lot of how it started. And one of the reasons why it's hung on as a symbol is because Jesus is the good shepherd. The candy cane is in the shape of a cane. And Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 8, we'll put this on the screen. Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, for the sheep. And the candy cane should be a reminder for you that Jesus is the good shepherd. Now listen, he didn't just save you, he leads you. The way a shepherd leads a flock. Those who are his hear his voice and they respond to it. He didn't just save you, he continues to speak to you and guide you on a daily basis. A shepherd's crook is shaped that way so that it can grab a hold of a sheep that is doing something stupid. It's made out of something strong so it can pop it in the, side, in the backside or on top of the head if it needs to, to get it back to where it's supposed to be, get it back to the flock. That's why this, this is that, that shape, because he's the good shepherd. 
It's white and red for a reason as well. The white symbolizes the purity, the fact that Jesus was without sin, that he, he was born through a virgin birth. It tells the story of the fact that even though we have fallen into sin time and time again, Jesus, every time that he was tempted, he honored God. He was the perfect sacrifice without sin. And the red in the candy cane symbolizes that he bled for us, that he suffered for us. And I I always, spending about, I'm approaching 20 years in, in ministry, and when we talk about the suffering of Christ, I see so often people will respond when they get an accurate picture of how passionately Jesus suffered for you. The response is often this, this sense of guilt of, man, he did so much for me. I, I should be embarrassed about how much I fail. He did so much for me. Like, I, I just feel unworthy of his love. And I want to tell you, the, the response to seeing the fact that Jesus, his blood was spilled for you is not guilt. Guilt is not from God. Conviction, calling, purpose, that is from God. And the proper response is a resolute love. That, that he loved me so much that he would go to any end to redeem his children and bring them back home. I have to understand, God's love for me is unending. So I have no fear, I have no, no shame in my relationship with him because he loves me without end. And all of that, I believe, is right there in the candy cane. And it's a conversation for you to have with your kids. It's a conversation for you to have with coworkers. It's a conversation for you to have with a cashier at Publix. Did you know that there's, there's some meaning in the candy cane? And I'm not saying every single time that you see one, you have to engage in a conversation. But I do believe that God is going to open up some doors for you to just share a little bit with somebody through this holiday season when you see one. But I believe that if you will just call back to memory every time you see it, he is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. I believe that it's going to help your heart not just rote through the holidays, not just mechanically move through it, but engage in these small times of worship. It's, it's so important. One of the other important pieces of the candy cane is that it's the letter J. Jesus is the name above all other names. He is the only name under heaven by which men must be saved. He is the only way to the Father. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Did you know all that was in a candy cane? One of my simple challenges for you I'm going to give three different pictures uh, of things that that have meaning within our decorations with three different very simple challenges. One is, I want you to give a candy cane to somebody this year. And you can throw me under the bus. You can be like, my pastor spent most of the Sunday morning just ranting on and on about the different meanings in a candy cane. Did you even know there was any meanings in the candy cane? Yeah, he he actually said it's about the purity of Christ. And you can just steal one point and you blame it on me, but you preach some gospel to them and you never know how one little word of hope might encourage someone, help someone. It might even make them say, hey, I've been wanting to find a church. I didn't even know you went to church. In fact, we should probably have some conversations about what you've been doing at work since you go to church. But I think I'd like to go to church with you. You don't know how God will use those moments. And so you might notice on your way out today that there is about 240 candy canes for you to take a few. I think of these things. 
And so I want to challenge you, just give one away and see what kind of opportunity God might provide for you to share about your faith this Christmas, Christmas season. The next thing that is so common to so many of us, but I believe we've, we've missed the meaning of, of is a wreath. I, I was, someone came up to me after first service and he's like, I'm 57 and I had never heard about the meaning of a wreath before. Uh, there's, there's a saying in our culture, all good things come to an end. A wreath actually means the opposite of that. A wreath talks about the eternal nature of God, which is why it is round. It's green because it's fruitful in every season, not just one season. And when we hang wreaths up at Christmas time, what we're saying is we're saying a theological statement about the person of Jesus Christ, that he was not just a man, but that he is eternal, which is in line with what scripture teaches. And I'm gonna challenge you guys to memorize a portion or a paraphrase of Hebrews 13, eight today, which Hebrews 13, eight says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. You can remember yesterday, today, and forever. Can you say that with me? Yesterday, today, and forever. Now the people who weren't sure if they should say it yet can say it with me one more time. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the same. This is the theological statement that I need to know is in your head and in your heart because this is a critical truth about Jesus because so much of our culture will love to say he was a good person, he was a good teacher, he was a moral teacher, he cared for the, the poor. Listen to me. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is eternal in nature. I want to give you the theology of Colossians 1 verses 15 through 18. We'll put this up on the screen as I read it. And it says about Jesus that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For him, for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everything else, and he holds all of creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. Christ is eternal. And this is why we hang wreaths on the door. This is why this is part of our celebration of Christmas time, because he was not just a mere man. He was before all things, and he is supreme over all things. So when he calls us to follow him, we understand this is the visible image of the invisible God. When he speaks a word to us, we understand this is the word that was sent by God. He is eternal in nature. What else does that mean in practical life and living? If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, when you were on a spiritual high, when you were doing well, when you were serving, when you were fighting against sin and saying no to sin and you were, you were giving financially and things were spiritually going well in your life and you felt like you could just march yourself right into the throne room of God because you had it all together and you knew that God loved you, but then it all fell apart and you messed up and you fell into the addiction and you made the mistake, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The love that he had for you when you felt like you had it all together, he still has for you when you're a mess. He does not change. We change, we go up and down, but I wanna tell you, he still has the same love for you, he still has the same calling for you, 
He still has purposes for you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. So no matter how you've been feeling, he has been seeking after you. And you know, Luke 19.10 is the heartbeat around here. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He has been seeking after you. He has been calling you home the way a good father calls home his son. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so this is the simple challenge regarding a wreath. Whenever you see a wreath this holiday season, I want to challenge you to say out loud in the presence of whoever is with you, yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ is the same. When you see it, say it out loud in front of your kids. When you see it in the grocery store, say it in front of your cashier, wherever you are. And and let me tell you, this isn't something to become mechanical, but this should be a callback reminder that this is a beautiful season we get to celebrate with all of these beautiful decorations, but it can't just be beautiful for the aesthetics. It has to be beautiful for the worship. It has to call our heart and our mind back to worship. And it is an incredible thing. It puts us into the proper place when we're reminded about the power and the authority and the eternal nature of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So when you see that wreath, yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ is the same. Say it back to yourself. Say it to your heart. Call up worship. The last thing that we're going to look at today is so many of us know when we get home today, it's like that ladder is waiting for us in the garage because they have been after me to put up the Christmas lights. Christmas lights are always part of it, whether it's candles, the lights you hang outside, the lights on the tree. Christmas lights are always part of Christmas. And I know that it's on the to-do list for so many families. We're gonna drive around and we're gonna look at all the lights because the lights are so beautiful and the way that people put in time for these decorations. And I want to call back to the meaning of why we have lights as part of our Christmas celebration. Are we passing this on to our kids? Are we talking about this? Is our heart engaging and recognizing? Because light is just pretty cool in general. Light is the speed limit of the entire universe. Nothing goes faster than light. Everything that we see, we see because light is bouncing off of it and coming back through our eyes into our brain, making sense of it. It's crazy how God has designed this. Light is incredible. The way that light looks in the darkness, it just does something to our heart and our mind where we we appreciate the way that it looks when light is shining out of the darkness. And Jesus, in in John 8, 12, it says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world. Without light in the world, life could not exist. Without Jesus in our world, there is no real life. He is the light of the world. By the way that he speaks and he describes the way that life is, that's how I'm going to see the world. I'm going to see the world through, through the filter of how Jesus has described it and how we should live, how we should breathe, how we should move, how we should worship. I'm going to see the world through what Jesus has taught. He is the light of the world. He brings light into dark places. He provides the ability to have vision and see what is going to happen. He's the light of the world. There's two other places that describe light in Scripture and says this is what light is. Another one is in Psalm 119, 105, where he says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Scripture is a light. Jesus is a light. And then what he says in Matthew 5:14 is he speaks to his followers and his disciples. And he says, you are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. Light is part of the Christmas celebration because it's part of the message of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel of John talks about the fact that Jesus was the word sent into the world. He was this great light that came into the world. And this light now moves and shines through his church, through you. And I think it's, I think it's beautiful when neighborhoods ha- have so many houses that are lit up. Because it's the way that the world should be. In your, house, in your neighborhood, and I'm not saying you have to put Christmas lights up, but it, it's an image of something. And the way that there's lights in each neighborhood on some of the houses, there's lights in each neighborhood on some of the houses. And God has positioned you to be a light where you are. And there's a truth that the light stands out in the darkness. It does not blend in. It cannot be hidden. It is something different. Their life looks different. Their goals look different. Their compassion looks different. Their understanding looks different. The way that they worship, the way that they serve, it looks different than the world around them. And I, I know there are so many people who have incredible light displays around their house, but there is no light coming from their life. And the Christmas season, it's filled with parties and it's filled with gifts and it's filled with decorations, but it is absent of worship. Not for you. Not this year. I hope you have a great light display on your house, but I hope the light of Jesus Christ shines a thousand times brighter. And it's going to shine through your compassion. It's going to shine through your testimony. It's going to shine through your fellowship. It's going to shine through the conversations that you have, the spiritual dialogue that occurs. And for those of you who, like me, have kids in the household, You're in a season where you have an opportunity to have these conversations about why we have Christmas lights, about why we have candy canes, about why we have wreaths, about why we're generous and why we give gifts. We have the opportunity to engage in the meaning of these things. And I don't believe that you're going to be able to move someone from zero to 100 in one conversation, but I believe that when you show compassion, when you show love, when you speak about God's truth, and and you just let a little bit of light shine into that darkness, it's going to move them a little bit. And you don't know if you're step number one or step number 99 for them of what God is going to do in their life. And it's not your responsibility to push them to a conclusion. It's your responsibility. It's your calling. It's your opportunity to just be light. In the same way that one candle brings just a little bit of light into a room, I want to challenge you. Bring a little bit of light into some dark places this Christmas season. Bring just a little bit of love into difficult places this Christmas season. In times where everyone would say you're justified for reacting and getting angry. Instead, be light. Show compassion. When you drive through and you see those lights, be reminded that Christ is the light of the world and that light now lives through me. That light 
now lives through his disciples. Tell your loved ones, tell your coworkers, engage in the conversation. Just bring a little bit of light into the room. And whether it's a candy cane, a wreath, or a light, let's have authentic worship from our heart and our mind. Because we don't want God to look down at us and say, I, I hate all of your festivals because I'm absent from them. I hate all of your Christmas mornings because they have nothing to do with your Savior. I, I love Christmas. I love the celebration. I love the fun. I love the feeling of it because it all reminds me of my heavenly Savior. Savior. It all reminds me of Jesus Christ. So make this time about him. And I believe you'll get to see him work through you. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the opportunities you give us to be light. And whether that's stepping into a situation that where we can't change everything, but we can provide some food for a while for a family that needs help. We might, might not be able to fix a relationship, but we can show grace and compassion for the time that we're in the room together. Show us those opportunities to be light, to speak of love, to show compassion. Show us the opportunities to be the kind of light that Jesus was. And as we step into those moments, we will trust you for the results. And we are thankful that we get to celebrate and we're thankful that we get to give gifts and we're, we're, we're thankful that we get to decorate, but help us to declare your goodness and your love for this world. We're thankful for this season in Jesus' name, amen.